Amen. What a great opportunity for us to uh, share Jesus' message and his love literally all around the world. So I encourage us all to, to get involved with Operation Christmas Child. Well, she was a thirsty soul. She was a woman who uh, felt socially outcast. Nobody wanted to be with her. She didn't have any friends. She literally was all alone in life. She felt scorned. She felt her life was trash. She felt condemned. She was carrying the guilt of her past. She was a thirsty soul. She was the woman at the well that Jesus met. And she, uh, what, what happened when she encountered Jesus? Jesus gave this thirsty soul living water. He met all of her spiritual needs. He quenched her spiritual thirst. And you thought, hang on a second. That was, uh, that was a message from last week. You're right. I'm glad you paid attention last week. But you know, when Jesus, uh, when this woman with a thirsty soul encountered Jesus, he gave her living water, but he had something else for her. There was too much uh, to consider last week. So this morning, we want to read again what happened as this woman encounters Jesus at the well, because there's something more that he wants to give. Yes, he wants to give us living water, but there's something more he wants to, he wanted to give her and he wants to give us this morning as well. So let's read the story together in John chapter four and uh, pay attention again to this woman who shows up all alone without any friends and, uh, Jesus, and she encounters Jesus and her life is changed forever. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria and we noticed that he geographically didn't have to go through Samaria. Most self-respecting Jews went around Samaria, but Jesus had an appointment and he was taking initiative in love to meet with this lady. So he's going through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. The significance is there's a well there. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. The heat of the day. If you've ever been in a desert country, you don't want to be doing anything in the middle of the day. It's hot. And um, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and we noticed that that's not the time people worked hard. Women would come together in groups in the morning when it was cool. Here she's coming in the middle of the day in the heat of the day, all alone. And uh, Jesus sets his heart of love on her. He initiates a conversation. When she came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now he is crossing every barrier uh, to talk with a Samaritan, to talk with a woman, but he is reaching out to her in love. And um, Jesus says, will you give me a drink? He initiates the conversations. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. She's surprised. And I am a Samaritan and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who's standing in front of you, and, that, and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you, there it is, living water. Now she doesn't quite get it. She's thinking on physical terms. He's speaking on spiritual terms, spiritual needs. And uh, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is spiritual living water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go, call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right when you said you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Now notice, and this is what I want to focus on this morning. She turns the, the, the conversation from water to worship. And Jesus has a lot to speak to her about worship. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Obviously, you have divine insight into my life. You just told me about my past, and you're a complete stranger. And so she recognizes he's a prophet, but she changes the conversation to worship. She says, our ancestors, what? Worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship in Jerusalem, where's the right place to worship? Woman Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father. Jesus engages her in this conversation about worship. You will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship, we Jewish people worship what we do know. What salvation is from the Jews. God had given his revelation, he'd given salvation, he'd given the temple, he'd given the covenants through Israel, through the Jewish nation. And um, there was a richness for that. Salvation is from the Jews, yet, he's saying there's a heritage here with what God has given to Israel, but there's a new day coming too. And we're going to see both of those are true. Salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come. He's reaching out to a Samaritan woman into a Samaritan village. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit, or some translations say in spirit, and both are true. You, you meet God in spirit because he's in spirit, but inspired by the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus is going to give, in the spirit and in truth. For they are the worshiper, the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Jesus is saying there's a new day of worship dawning. In fact, it's here. With Jesus and his ministry. And he says, the, he says uh, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. His worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus then declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. She was there speaking to the very Messiah himself. So, what happened when this thirsty soul encountered Jesus? Well, we saw last week he gave her living water. He quenched her spiritual need. He, he uh, accepted her. He uh, wasn't there to condemn her. He was more interested in her future than her past. Uh, he loved her. He gave her dignity. He gave her value. He met her every spiritual need. And guess what? You and I are thirsty souls. We may not have the same background as the Samaritan woman, but every one of us needs to be accepted, needs to be loved, needs to be valued, needs to be forgiven. And that's what Jesus came to give living water to all of us thirsty souls. But we also saw, that was just a review of last week, we also saw that Jesus goes on to speak about rivers of living water in John chapter 7. Not streams, not trickles, but rivers of living water, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
which had not been given yet, but was poured out on the day of Pentecost as God's birthright to every believer. You're given the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And he is the one who gives you Jesus' presence. He's the helper, another helper. And, and we can count on that living water, his presence in every circumstance in life, his strength in every circumstance, his love, his, the product of, of his spirit in our lives, which is first and foremost love, all of that is his living water and his presence in our life. But what I want to focus on this morning, let's not miss it. There's another thing Jesus wanted to give to this lady at the well, and he wants to give it to our lives too. He wants to lead us, he wants to inspire us, catch this, to be true worshipers, to be the kind of worshipers that God is seeking. And I'm challenged by that. I thought this last week, and I want to stir your thinking. When God looks at your life, does he say, wow, there's a person... That is the kind of worshiper I'm looking for. There's a worshiper in spirit, and by the way, and in truth. And, 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 and as soon as we see a worshiper, in, in a true worshiper makes me kind of realize there's such a thing as a fake worshiper. And I've, I've walked there sometimes, kind of just showing up and going through the motions, but it's not real. It's not true. It's not authentic. And Jesus is saying, God the Father is looking for the real thing, real worshipers, those who worship in the spirit and in truth, what does that look like? Well, I want us to spend some time this morning looking at the scriptures, at some of the rich heritage, because Jesus says salvation is from the Jews, and, and he came with this foundation of rich worship that God had revealed in human history through Israel. But then also see that what Jesus was bringing went way beyond what God had already given Israel, uh, and it's given for our instruction, but there's a new day of worship that Jesus is pointing us to. So let's look at, at, first of all, this foundation of a rich worship, because Jesus was building on a very rich foundation. I want to notice several, um, several marks of true worship, several marks from the scriptures of the kind of worshiper that God is seeking. And here's the first one, and it's uh, essential, it's foundation. Love God. <laughs> yeah, that's obvious, but, but God had reached into human history, and Israel's worship was centered on the fact that God had set his heart of love on Israel. And he was calling them to love him. And all of our response of worship is a response of our love to God's love. And we should never lose sight of the fact that, that worship is just a response of love. And so we see, for example, in Deuteronomy, the Lord, Yahweh himself, he set his affection on your ancestors. And he loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations. He loved all the nations, but he set his heart of love on you, as it is today. And what was Israel called to do? To love him back. Deuteronomy 6, just love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. You thought Jesus made that up? Actually, Jesus answered when they came to Jesus said, what's the most important thing to do with your life? He said, love God with all your heart, with all your soul. But he was quoting Deuteronomy he was quoting that rich heritage of worship that God had already given Israel and say, this is the most important thing with your life. Just love God. And your worship flows out of your love. It's rooted, but it flows out of your love for God. I hope it wasn't, uh, you haven't forgotten, but we did as a church family this series in Revelation. And you remember the first church at Ephesus, uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to as he speaks to the church at New Hope Kailu as he speaks to your life. And he says uh, to the church of Ephesus, I see your hard work, and I see your sound doctrine, and I see your diligence. But what I'm really looking for is your first love. <laughs> I'm looking for your first love. And Ephesus had lost it. 
And it's just a reminder that all of our worship, all of our service, all of our teaching, all of our doctrine, but God is really looking for worship that's rooted in a heart of love. That was the foundation that Jesus was coming with, a key part of it. Just love God. Second mark of true worship is this, and this was coming richly out of Israel's past. Celebrate and give. That God had built into his love relationship with, with Israel. Praise and generosity. And just uh, this runs throughout the Old Testament. It was um, all that the Jewish nation was built on in their life of worship. But um, just one example, Psalm 107. Let the worshipers, the true worshipers, uh, give him gifts of thanks, financial gifts. Now for them, they were animal offerings, but that was their finances and financial offerings. But for us, it's finances. Let them give uh, gifts of thanks and tell of his works with songs of joy. Those two always went together. Praising, celebrating God's spiritual blessings and giving back to him. Those two were essential in Israel's worship. And um, the, uh, the whole calendar was built on occasions of worship where the people would go up, celebrate all that God had done for them, and it was always involved with giving to him. Three times a year, this is Deuteronomy, a year, three times a year all your men must be, uh, appear before the Lord, your God, at the place he will choose. Ultimately, he chose Jerusalem, set the tabernacle up there in the temple. At the festival on leavened bread, what's that? That celebrated Israel's salvation out of Egypt, out of Egyptian slavery. The festival of weeks, 50 days later, became the day of Pentecost, but uh, celebrated God's abundance at the wheat harvest. And the festival of tabernacles, well, that celebrated when God took them out of Egypt to Canaan, the journey they built, booths and tabernacles, celebrating the spiritual journey to the promised land. All of these spiritual blessings God had given them, but catch this, don't miss this. When you gather before the Lord, no one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each one of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. This was built into Israel's life of true worship, of genuine worship, of worship that Father was seeking. It was celebrating and giving. It was uh, singing songs of joy and giving financial gifts, recognizing everything you have came from God. That was part of the foundation. So what kind of uh, worshipers is God looking for? Those who love God, those who celebrate and give. And can I just say this? Uh, God knows and uh, um, thank you to all of the people at New Hope Kailua who celebrate and give to the Lord because during this pandemic with our attendance being down uh, and all of the challenges, God's ministry has continued to flow because those gifts to God have, have kept us operating simply because there are people who love God and give to him. And I commend you. I bless you for doing that. For some of us uh, that may be learning that, can I encourage you, if that's not part of your worship, start giving to the Lord. That's part of celebrating as you praise online Sunday morning. Um, that's part of true worship, giving back to God something of what he has given to us and then experiencing his blessing with that. Here's a third thing. And these are all foundational, but we should not take them for granted. God had taught Israel to devote their entire lives to worship. You caught that? It's not 15 minutes or 20 minutes of singing on Sunday. It's your entire life is an offering of worship. And for Israel, if you read uh, their covenant, it encompassed it, their calendar year-round. Uh, they had worship festivals. Um, uh, they would, uh, their, their worship encompassed everything about their lives, their relationships in the covenant, 
Their relationship with God, their relationship with their family, their relationship with other people, their relationship with their neighbors. It encompassed their food. They had food laws. There were certain foods they could eat. There were certain foods they were not to, to eat. And the reason for those food laws was to teach them about who God is. They were not allowed to eat lobster. Why? Because lobster was a mixed animal. It, it, it's a, it looked like a land animal and then it walked on the ground. It didn't swim. But it lived underwater. That's mixing some animals, it's okay to eat fish because you can be underwater, but not an animal that mixed being a land animal and a sea creature. Why? Because God is not mixed. He's singular. He's plural. It affected what clothes they wore. Um, they couldn't have worn polyester because polyester is two fabrics mixed together. And uh, the, 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 uh, their worship to God said, no, you can only wear clothes that's of a singular fabric. Because God is singular. He's not mixed. There's no plurality with him. He's pure. And so in their food and in their clothing and in their, in their work, you couldn't mix two different kinds of seeds in the same field. Why? Because everything they did, their work, their clothing, they God is singular. He is pure. And he's the one we worship. And we're set apart to him. It encompassed every area of their life is the point. And a belt on that, what does the scripture say to us in Romans chapter 12? I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, <laughs> in view of the fact that he sees you in your spiritual need and he wants to pour living water and quench your spiritual thirst, if you will, to do what? Offer your bodies, your entire lives, your body is your entire person as a living sacrifice. Offer it all to God. Holy and pleasing to God. That is your what? true and proper worship. Your true worship is offering your entire life to God. It's not a part-time activity on Sunday mornings. Every dimension of your life is an offering to God. And Israel knew that, and Jesus came building on that foundation. Now, those were some foundational, the richness of what God had built into his covenant people. Jesus was saying, but there's a new day coming. There's a new season coming. So I want to focus now on, on some of the new things Jesus brought, because those there's continuity of the richness of that worship. There's also some new elements that Jesus brought in our lives of worship. Here's the next one. It's a new people. He's reaching out to a Samaritan. And yet he's going to build a new family of worshipers. Samaritans, Gentiles, Japanese, Australians, whatever, you know, uh, Filipinos, Portuguese. Everybody's part of this new family, right? It's not just a Jewish thing. And he's saying it's going way beyond one ethnic group to this whole new body. But there's still, this is the continuity, there's a whole new people, but there's still people who praise and give. There's continuity with that. He says, but you, Christians at New Hope Kailua, from whatever ethnic background you come from, you are a chosen people. God has made an appointment with you, just like he did with that woman at the well. You're a royal priesthood. You belong to the king and you serve him. You're a holy nation. You're set apart not as a political country now, but as a people from all over the world, from all of the nations. And he says this, God's special possession. He set his heart of love on you. So what do you do when he sets his heart of love on you? You worship him in a manner that worthy of who he is. So that he says this, that you may declare the excellencies. That's a life of worship. That you might declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
You declare his excellencies, and then it caught my attention this last week. I've never really seen this connection. But as we declare his excellencies, there's something he wants us to be excellent in too. And it's that combination of praise and giving, because he says this, but since you excel in everything, see that you also excel in what? The grace of giving. <laughs> Proclaim his excellencies, celebrate praise, but also be excellent in giving back to him. He's excellent, you be excellent in this aspect of your worship and see the continuity. There. But it's a new people. It's people from uh, not just the Jewish nation, people from every nation. A new people, but we praise and give. Another thing that's new to Jesus, a new temple. This is really profound. He's discussing with her. They thought they had the right temple. Samaritans did. They'd made a, uh, a, um, another temple in, in, in uh, competition with the Jewish temple. And Jesus was saying, no, you don't have it right. God's purposes is through the Jewish nation. But he's saying the temple is going to be done away with. And what was the temple all about? God had instituted the temple to contain his presence. He'd given them the Israel the tabernacle. He'd come to live in the Holy of Holies. He'd located his presence in a special way to live among his people. And ultimately through, through David, he took the tabernacle up to Jerusalem and that made the capital city of his kingdom of, uh, on earth. And Solomon built the temple. But the whole point of the temple was for God to live among his people and for them to approach him in worship. And Israel had a rich heritage of that. But Jesus is saying there's a day coming where, guess what? The temple is now our church. <laughs> the temple is your body. The physical temple, there's going to be a new, newness with Jesus' death and resurrection and the day of Pentecost, the church. The church is now his temple. Don't take my word for it. He says, you believers at New Hope Kailua, you are no longer foreigners and strangers outside of God's covenant, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of God's household. He's made this new body, Jew and Gentile, the church, one family. Built on, there's a building here, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the true foundation with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. But it says this, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy what? Temple in the Lord. The church, the body of Christ, is the temple. And in him you too, you believers, are being built together. You're like a living brick, is what Peter says, in this holy temper, temple, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Think about that. You might have thought church is just kind of a place to show up, see your friends, sing some worship songs, have some refreshment. No, the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's where God dwells. And we meet God in church in multiple ways. We meet him as a church family. In the And yes, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but you're just one living brick and so am I. And he's building a building. And the local church is the place where you meet God in worship and you serve God in worship. And um, this is a whole new thing that Jesus brought. Uh, a new people, a new temple where we meet God in church. Another, another new element is a new spirit. He's going to give the Holy Spirit. And as he says in John chapter 7, the Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet, but at the day of Pentecost, he poured out his spirit, gave birth to the church. He gives his indwelling Holy Spirit to every believer at their point of faith. And he says this, be filled with the Holy Spirit because he's the one who energizes and gives life to your singing, but all of your life of worship, which is way beyond your singing. 
which is a good thing for those of us who can't sing so well. Very grateful for those who can sing and lead us in worship. But again, the point is our whole lives are an offering of worship. And um, so the scriptures say in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit and that issues forth into singing and living. <laughs> singing and living, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. But he says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. But if you keep reading, he says, this Spirit-filled life issues forth into your marriage, into your marriage, into your parenting, if you keep reading, into your relationships at work. And so when a husband and wife put each other first and, and uh, submit one to another is what the text says. And a wife says, I'm going to put my husband's need and interest above myself. And husband says, I'm going to sacrifice my life for my wife. You have a spirit-filled marriage that's an act of worship to God that enjoys all of the blessings of unity and intimacy that God has designed. And he says, when parents, when, when you honor your parents and, and when you raise your children in the instruction of the Lord, that's an act of worship, spirit-filled worship in your family, in your marriage, in your parenting. And um, he speaks to slaves and slave owners and translates into employees and employers. I hope you don't feel like a slave at work, but sometimes you do. And the point is this, those principles that whether you're an employee or an employer, you recognize that both of your boss is the Lord Jesus himself. And then your work relationships become an act of worship. So it's, it's singing, but it's living. And when he's talking about a spirit-filled life, it energizes, yes, our, our singing, but also every relationship. And um, the spirit energizes that whole life of relationship. Next thing is a new covenant. A new covenant. Israel was given a covenant. But we have a new covenant, and we're not under Israel's covenant. We're not under the law, and we're grateful that we don't have to practice the, the food laws and the, the work laws, and, and the relational laws are still there because um, those translate into the new covenant as well, and we still love God and love people, but uh, we're free to eat lobster, and we're free to eat bacon and, and other foods that were prohibited under Israel's worship because we're not under the law. And... Um, so Jesus is our mediator. Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. We're in the new covenant. And Jesus is the mediator. And uh, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That new covenant was initiated in Christ's loving sacrifice on the cross. And all that means is we relate God now through Jesus, not through the law, not through the offerings, not through the animal sacrifice, not for everything that Israel, but we have a new uh, and a living way into God's presence. And Jesus is our mediator. We worship him. We serve him. We live for him. We honor him. We pray to him. We trust him. Jesus is the mediator of our relationship with God now. It's a whole new covenant. And that's all part of our worship as well. Finally, a new memorial of salvation. We're going to conclude this morning with communion. Because that's what Jesus gave us, a new day of worship. Israel celebrated the Passover, wonderful celebration of God's miracle, taking the nation out of Egypt and the last plague and the sacrificial lamb and, and his blood being uh, applied to the doorpost so the angel of death uh, didn't travel. All of that just a reflection, a, a signpost, an indication of Christ who is our Passover lamb, that we have a, good Hawaiian word, a mobeta, me, uh, celebration memorial of salvation because Jesus is our Passover lamb. He was the one who gave his life on the cross, shed his blood, and as that blood is applied to our lives in faith, 
We're delivered from judgment. And we're brought into a new living relationship with God. The forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life, and a life of worship that pleases him and honors him. So, you know, that is the one thing. I don't know if you thought about this. The one going act of worship that Jesus actually instituted. Yep, the life of praise and singing was part of Israel's worship, continues in the church. Baptism was something that was given for a one-time uh, demonstration of our faith. And sometimes folks get rebaptized, and totally good reason for that. But it's not like you get baptized once a month. <laughs> the Lord's Supper Jesus gave us, and although he didn't give us a time frame, he didn't say every week or every month, he gave us freedom, but he said, do this regularly. Do this regularly. Do this regularly. And at the heart of your worship with me is remembering in these very simple emblems. He took two emblems from the Passover meal, from Israel's act of worship. He took the bread and he took the wine. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. At the heart of your life of worship, at the heart of your life of faith, at the heart of your life of love is my love for you. And the fact that I was willing to have my body broken on the cross and my blood spilled, shed, and my life given so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be accepted to God, so that you could be loved on forever. That at the heart of our life of worship is what Christ did for us on the cross. He said, come back to that regularly. Come back and realize how much I love you. Come back and realize that I gave my very best for you and be inspired to live in a manner worthy, to worship in a manner worthy of who I am. So we're going to do that this morning. Uh, if you uh, didn't receive on the way in a little communion packet, maybe just wave your hand and Akaika will pass you one. Um, we wish, uh, and the day will be coming where we can do the real thing with, with uh, bread and uh, a cup. Uh, but right now we'll use these little packets. And, and um, again, just uh, keep your hand up. I see some over here, uh, Akaika, and Akaika will find you. And you can celebrate in communion. But before we do that, our worship team will come and lead us in a song of worship, and then, uh, and then we'll take the elements together. Aloha, church family. Thank you so much for joining with us in worship this morning. We truly hope that you were refreshed and, and strengthened in your faith during these crazy pandemic days. We want, invite you to look at all of our messages. They're available on our YouTube channel. We'd also invite you to download our church app. It's just a great way for us to keep in touch, to communicate, also for you to receive materials. So uh, take advantage of downloading that church app. We would invite you to partner with us as we continue serving God faithfully during these days. And you can give online, you can give on our website, uh, or mail a check into our street address. We really appreciate your support with that. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord grant you peace. We love you. Aloha.